and it's happening! This is Nicole. Hey guys, welcome to a random episode of Bloody Bubbles. Hey there, Babylonians! Today's episode is brought to you by Romer Skincare. Based out of Chicago, Romer launched a work-from-home clean skincare line that covers all your skin needs. They prove that you don't need a million serums and eye creams to get better skin. Why we love them? Clean ingredients and effective results within just a simple three-step routine that you and even your partner can share. Right now, Romer Skincare is offering our listeners 15% off and a gift with your first purchase by using the code LISTENER15. That's code L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-1-5 on their website, romerskincare.com. That's R-O-M-E-R-S-K-I-N-C-A-R-E.com. No stress, no clutter, just happy skin. I don't know if you can hear, but I'm I'm home, I'm by myself, and I've just kind of been in my head for the last few days, and I've been looking up some different stories, and it's just me and my dogs here. Hopefully Shiva doesn't do that stupid squeaky toy. Shiva, come here. Come here, doggy. Goodness gracious. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm sorry, Shiva. You can't do that. So, um... I haven't even told the girls about this episode, but they'll know when it comes out on Friday. But, um, yeah, I've just been kind of in my head these last, like, couple days, and actually, like, the whole year, let's be real, it's been a crazy 2020. I realized the last couple of episodes, I haven't been, like, I'm all about, no, any listeners, any and all listeners that we have, I, we freaking love you, you guys are amazing, um, we've, our numbers have jumped like crazy lately, and I'm like, I don't know what we're doing, but you guys are like showing us so much love, and it's been so fantastic, and I just love it, and I'm just, I'm going crazy bonkers bananas over it, so I'm living for it, and I didn't shout out, um, we have two, we added two new countries, um, Italy and Nigeria, like what? <laughs> crazy bonkers bananas, that's crazy amazing. There's dog drool all over my knee, but that's fine. <laughs> but I think that's so, it just blows my mind. And I think it'll blow my mind in every single country that we add. Girls, please don't fight. It's just, oh my gosh, you guys are making, this podcast means a lot to me. And I think I've told Kelly and Shauna like off air, like, you know, I'm like this, it brings me just some serious peace and joy and I'm learning more about, I mean, I've always been a huge true crime fan, always, like, forever. Like, I used to watch Unsolved Mysteries with that crazy, um, oh, his name's Robert something. Me and my mom looked him up. He was an actor. Sorry, drinking my Dr. Pepper cream soda, as always, because it's my favorite. Um, yeah, but watching those, I loved watching those when I was young. I watched a lot of murder shows, like, just different kind of things from when I was growing up. And now I've, like, deep-dived, like, hardcore, like, I'm really working hard on this one true crime story. So this will be a little bit different. Um, this was, hey, 
Oh my gosh, my freaking dogs, I swear. But um, I found two different stories, and I'm gonna we're gonna be traveling to Ireland. Is it, stop. Um, to Ireland today. There was one story I found, and it was about October 6th, 19 or no, 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 October 9th, 1976. And it was um just this random fog that came over. But I couldn't find a lot on it, so um, just basically, I, it's, the short story that I found, it was, um, fog often goes together with all things scary. At Halloween, people use fog machines to enhance their haunted houses. Although you can kind of see in the fog with limited visibility, it's sometimes as bad as darkness. Okay, there's been days I woke up, and I go, and I look outside, and I can't even see the trees that are in my, like, the, I have trees that line my backyard. Sometimes I can't even see them. The picture they used on this is kind of creepy. But, um, in Ireland, fog is no different than anywhere else in the world, unless you count the night of October 9th, 1976. I figured this would be perfect. We're getting ready to jump into, by the time this comes out, it'll be October. I mean, everybody says September is pre-October, and I'm all about spooky season. I love Halloween. It's my, one of my, it's my all-time favorite. I love, um, I don't know what it's going to be like this year, um, just because all this COVID bananas craziness, but, um, yeah, so I love spooky things, and but it said that a small town had a thick and eerie fog sweep around in around 7 p.m. in Ireland. It left people feeling uneasy, and most went indoors and locked their homes for the night. When morning came, the fog cleared, and folks were able to leave their homes again. Those who had remained locked inside had no idea what had happened during the night. Those who didn't have a different story to tell, police received more than 60 calls from scared citizens who had gone outdoors when this fog creeped in. They said their dead were roaming the streets. Their calls were immediately disregarded, and they thought they were playing jokes. However, patrolling the next morning, police found that the local graveyard had all its graves dug up, and the bodies were nowhere to be found. There's um, a small, I wouldn't say poem, um, but it's by Joel Frad Bink. To one who, journeying through night and fog, is mired neck deep in an unwholesome bog. Experience, like the rising of the dawn, reveals the path that he should not have gone. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So, I don't... So, finding that story, I was going to, like, do, like, a bitty babble like this is going to be. Or a baby babble. Or a tiny babble. Or just a little mini bloody babble. For all you Babylonians, because that's my favorite thing. And so, yeah, so on top of searching um, for more about that, I then stumbled upon a different story. So if, I know we have some Irish listeners. Um, I hope you're still there. Hello. <laughs> so um, reach out, please. Let me know if you know anything about these crazy stories. Um, this one, there's the next one is going to be about the Bon... Sakawa's sisters, who ran a home, uh, Bon Sakawa's mother and baby home, or it's also known as the St. Mary's mother and baby home, or simply called the home, which the home, I feel, is just eerie and creepy all by itself. So, um, oh, excuse me. So we're going to get into talking about that. So between 1925 and 1961 in Tuam, is how I'm going to guess you pronounce that. Oh, excuse me. A town in County Galway, the Bon Sakaur sister, if I'm saying this completely wrong, I'm Irish, but uh, obviously not. 
uh, your blood. So I have it in my lineage. So if I don't say any of these right, please comment and or message or email. You know, do something and let me know. Uh, this is how you say it. Ran the home, which was an institution where thousands of unmarried pregnant women gave birth. But previously, it had started off as a workhouse and a military barracks. So it's got kind of come some pictures on these. I've got a couple of different articles that I'm going off of. And this came to light, like, actually not that long ago because there's, it's got a crazy twisted end. So I hope you guys enjoy this crazy off-the-wall-by-myself story. So it's going to sound kind of funny because I'm sitting here just talking to you as if you're here, but I'm literally sitting in my house with my two dogs because my child is with his father tonight. So I'm just sitting here living my best life. So, um... The building that eventually became the home was build, build, see, I can't even do this by myself. Like, you'd think we all confident and be like, oh yeah, I can read. No, no, I can't. It was built in 1841 as a workhouse under the Irish poor laws. And it, um, like any other house, workhouse, it was, had been designed by poor law commissioners, architect George Wilkinson to house about 800 people. And it opened in 1846, close to the peak of the Great Famine. What is this great famine? Oh, okay. That's why I figured the Irish potato famine. I actually did a research project on that when I was in high school, which was almost 10 years ago. And that's just sad, even though 27 isn't that old. But yeah, anyways, as well as dormitories, the main building contained an infirmary. <laughs> infirmary. Guys, I'm sorry. I should have just went to take a nap or something. Infirmary and an idiot's ward. That's where I would belong. And I guarantee if Kelly or Shauna were here, they'd be like, oh my God, Nicole, no, you're not an idiot. Well, in this moment, I feel like one because I can't even read. Um, sheds were constructed on the property to house additional inmates and fever victims. A fever hospital was later constructed next door. And after the famine, the workhouse continued to house the poor and homeless for more than six years. So remember, we're in 1846 right now. It doesn't become like the home till... 1925. So, in 1916, during the uprising against British rule, British troops took over the wor workhouse, evicted the occupants, dogs, please stop, and made the building their barracks. In 1923, during the Irish Civil War, 60 anti-treaty IRA volunteers were imprisoned, executed, and executed at the workhouse by Irish Free State forces, followed by two others some weeks later. These were among the last executions of the Irish Civil War, and the nuns who took over the building later erected a crucifix in memory of the executed IRA members. Huh. This is like, I'm like learning right along with you guys, because the story is, um, it's crazy. It's um, what they have deemed uh, an Irish Holocaust, so to speak. And my experience with holocausts is not um you know they're not great so yeah let's just um jump right into it so the order of bon Sakaur sisters led by mother hortense mcnamara i think hortense is a wonderful name even though it's kind of atrocious would never name like anybody or anything hortense but it's great she took over the twam workhouse in 1925 and converted it into the home I don't know why, but that sounds a little culty to me. The home. Do you want to come join the home? Sorry. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I don't know. So this resulted from the prior closure of all workhouses in the county by the Galway Board of Health and the transfer of the hospital wing of Glenamaddy Workhouse to Tuam. 
So unwed single women who became pregnant were sent to give birth there rather than at, has at a hospital or at home. And the nuns were obviously trained midwives. Um, in 1927, the Board of Health directed that a maternity ward be added so that the mothers could be segregated from the public wards. That doesn't sound right. I mean, that's what it says, but I don't like that. But okay. That was built in 1929. The mothers were required to stay inside the home for at least a year doing unpaid work for the nuns as reimbursement for some of the services rendered. I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense. I mean, they did deliver a whole ass baby. So they were separated from their, okay. They were separated from their children who remained separately in the home raised by nuns until they could be adopted, often without consent. Oh, wait, hold on. Slow down. Wait, time out. Beep, 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 beep. Back up. So these people go here because they have no, it seems like they have no other option, right? So they're like, I'm going to come here because I can give birth to my baby. I can work off my debts. But then your child is taken from you and given to somebody else. Okay. All right. We're going to just keep, keep going. It's fine. I'm not okay. Okay. Some women had two confinements. Some women who had had two confinements were sent directly to nearby Magdalene laundries after giving birth as punishment for their perceived recidivism. Magdalene laundries, also known as, ah, their asylums. Okay. And recidivism, wait, recidivism is the act of a person repeating an undesirable behavior after they've either experienced negative consequences of that behavior or have been trained to extinguish that behavior. Fancy. Okay. So according to Professor Maria Letty, this is a quote, such a stance, though not intended to be penal, allowed for the development of an attitude that accepted detention as a means of protecting society from these reoffending women. Unquote. Okay. For each mother and child in the home, the county council paid the nuns one pound a week. Um, I'm assuming that's what that is. I'm not smart. Yep, Irish pound. One Irish pound a week. Average female earnings in 1949 was 2.297 a week. A loaf of bread cost three pence. A stone of potatoes cost 14 pence. Pence was um, currency of Ireland until 2002. And a stone or stone weight. Okay. 14 pounds. At the end of the year, the mothers left with their babies while their babies were typically kept at the home. So, children stayed there until they could be fostered, adopted, or until they were old enough to be sent to industrial boarding schools. God, why couldn't these people just take their babies with them? They probably thought, oh, we're going to the home. This is going to be great. And then, nope, you're, we're taking your kid. Bye. Jesus. Even at the time, there were some complaints of foster children being exploited. Um, an article in October of 1953 in the Tuam Herald. I hope Tuam. Tuam? 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 It looks like Guam with a T. So if I'm saying that wrong, Ireland, I'm so sorry. I hope you're still here. Um, said, quote, an effort was not always made to find the home that most suited the child or the child that most suited the home. The allowance given to foster parents was not always spent on the child's welfare, unquote. Local historian Catherine Corliss also uncovered one case where a mother found work in England and paid the nuns to care for her son in the home. The nuns did not tell her that she had that he, her son had been fostered and kept each installment that she sent them. Wow. Some babies were sent to the clergy in the United States to be illegally adopted by Catholic families there. So not only were they stealing these babies from these women, they were sending them to other places to be illegally adopted. Um, 
but the, the, it gets pretty dark. Okay, we're getting we're getting to that point because this is the first story that I found was not even this in depth. I didn't look at this source, so I of course cite my sources in the episode. So, um, in 1947, a report by an official inspector who visited the home said the home some of the children were suffering oh, were suffering from malnutrition, and 12 out of 31 infants examined were described as being emaciated and not thriving. Oh. It also said that the home was overcrowded, which with 271 children and 61 mothers living there. Okay, this place was built to house 800 people. Why is that? That's a lot. That's still, that's under, okay. I don't know. Death rates were extraordinarily high. 34% of children died in the home in 1943, 25% died in 1944, 23% in 1945, 27% in 1946. The report states, quote, the death rate amongst infants is high. The death rate had appeared to be on the decrease, but has now begun to rise again. It is time to inquire into the possible cause before the death rate mounts higher, unquote. The report went on to say the care given to the infants in the home is good. Well, I doubt it. The sisters are careful and attentive. I don't. Diets are excellent. I fuck you, liar. You're a liar. You're a liar face. It is not here that that we must look for the cause of the death rate. But why not? Obviously, someone's lying. The death rate like fluctuated up and down and up and down and up and down. Like what? Okay. An inspection two years later in 1949, conducted by inspectors from the Galway County Council, reported everything in the home in good order and congratulated the Bon Secours sisters on the excellent condition of their institution. This is probably why we're going to get into the next part of this freaking story. It closed, home closed, in 1961, but most of the occupants were sent to similar institutions, such as the Sean Ross Abbey in Roscrea. Roscrea? Roscrea? Um, is a horrible, oh, <laughs> not a horrible, historical market town in County Tipperary, Tipperary, County Tipperary, Ireland. In 2016, the town had a population of 5,446. Woo! Roscrea is what I'm going to guess. Um, the building lay mostly disused until its demolition in 1972, and a new housing estate was built on the site. Okay, you know why this story gets crazy? This shit right here. In 1975. So, closed down in 1961. Demolished in 1972. 1975 now, two 12-year-old boys were playing at the site of the former mother and baby home. They found a hole or a chamber filled to the brim. Get this. Are you guys ready? Are you freaking ready? Well, children's skeletons underneath a concrete slab. One of them later said he had seen about 20 skeletons. The slab was believed to have covered the former home's septic tank. Dear God. Locals speculated that these were the remains of the victims of the great famine on unbaptized babies and or stillborn babies from the home oh my god the number of bodies was then unknown but as but was assumed to be small it was resealed shortly afterwards following prayers at the site by a priest for the next 35 years the burial site was tended to by a local couple who also built a small grotto there okay so I'm going to jump over here to this other story site okay so, is this the one that I have? Um, okay, it's this one. So, in this article, 
The first glimpse of the horror came in the 1970s when two boys prized upon some concrete slabs in the grounds of a home run by the sisters of the Bon Secours. I hate how I'm saying that, but okay. In Tuam County, Galway. Um, One of them, Barry Sweeney, then 12 years old, vividly recalls the moment. There it was, he says, skulls piled on top of each other. It was just bones and bits of rags and whatever, just a jumble. We just ran, he recalls. Um, adults were shocked, and at the time it was not regarded as sensational discovery, for Ireland holds many unmarked graves, often containing the victims of the 19th century famine. But the bodies of the infants had been stacked. Buried is too formal a word. <clears throat> is a in a disused septic tank. The scene was sealed and then given the blessing um, by the priest. Only now in the realization dawning for the decades the Galway Earth has held the skeletons of 800 babies and toddlers in a jumble. That is one of the country's most unthinkable secrets. Ireland, what you hiding though? Does anyone, please, one time, someone who listens, Irish listeners, write in to me. Bloody Babbles Podcast at gmail.com. Write into me. Comment on our Instagram at Bloody Babbles Podcast. Message us on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Bloody Babbles Podcast. Something. Twitter at Bloody Babbles. Come on. Tell me. I need to know more. I may have to go more deep into this. Hello, Shiva. Um, but yeah. Huh. Each new detail is what being called the Irish Holocaust brings fresh horror. The children were the offspring of unmarried mothers who were housed in the nearby. Home by the, run by nuns. Many died of malnutrition at a mortality rate suspicious, suspiciously well above the national average. They were stacked on top of each other in shrouds, not coffins. Their bodies consigned to the septic tank over a period of decades. No one, know, no one yet knows whether they bear any marks of identification. It sounds unlikely. If not, they may have never individually may have never been individually identified. Oh, man. That, um, yeah, and then it says also in the same article, Irish nuns in recent decades gained a reputation for harshness and cruelty towards unwed mothers and their offspring. Institutions they controlled, such as the Magdalene Laundries, which is that asylum, were described in official reports as frightening places where inmates were subject to rigid and uncompromising regimes with harsh and physically demanding work. Food was poor, malnutrition was common. In a loveless atmosphere, many children were separated from their mothers and forced to, to adoption. And the story that was told in the film Philomena, starring Judy Dench, about Philomena Lee's experience. For that, I think I don't. I need to see if she. I want to say she won an Oscar. Okay, just had to stop and check. But yeah, it won Best Picture. Judy Dench won Best Act. Actress, goodness gracious. Um, it had the best original score, best adapted screenplay. Like, that movie made the big looks. But, yeah. So, uh, okay. So, Philomena Lee. So, go check out the movie Philomena. I personally have not watched it, but um, after this, I'm going to go check it out because, obviously, I have to. Um, there, I'm saying um so much. I'm probably super annoying, and I'm so sorry, but I'm here by myself, just talking to you, as if you're going to respond back to me, because that's what I do, because I'm all by myself, and I literally did this on a whim, so here I am, just living my best life. 
Okay, anyways, uh, Philomena Lee's experience. Then the Catholic Church has taken a pounding from revelations of child sexual abuse by its priests and cover-ups by their bishops, but the burial site at Tuam has conjured up fresh nightmare visions and allegations of none behaving with disregard for life. One politician has said what has happened was manslaughter, which I, I agree. Yes, you go, friend. Um, they were allowed to die of neglect is the accus accusation from campaigner Susan Lohan. We have an anecdotal evidence from women that babies who had an obvious disability or frailty at birth were not nurtured. They were set aside in a separate room or were just left, just allowed to pass away. Okay, uh, I've read enough stories being a first-time mom. I mean, my son's almost four, but like reading like horror, terrifying stories of children and like, there, like there's a whole nother topic about like, abortion or if a baby's going to die like that's a whole nother thing and i'm not going to give you my opinions on it because i don't need people to come at me but like if those babies are just left there like they could be they could be alive for days until their little bodies just give up that's sickening just put in a separate room just toss aside like trash babies babies please even if you're not from ireland i mean i just want anybody anybody who's heard about this kind of crazy story just please write into me um this is a grave okay there's a pic there's a grave michael a has um the nurtured son of philomena lee her story is made into a film okay so i'll add that picture onto the instagram so um there's just there's there's a lot um okay let's get in here yeah and talk some more about Catherine corliss who published an article about the home in the annual journal of the old Tuam society at the stage. She did not have the names of all the children who died there in 2013 Anne Glennon, a public servant at the Galway health service executive registrar for births, deaths and marriages at Corliss request and expense retrieved the names of get ready 796 children who had death certificates listing the Tuam home or the Tuam children's home as place of death. 700 96 children died there. Most of the children were infants and had died at the home during its years of operation, 1925 to 61. In 2018, Glennon said she was privileged to be, to be able to carry out the work. Freaking jeez. Um, Corliss had studied the death certificates and found they listed a range of ailments such as tuberculosis, convulsions, measles, whooping cough, malnutrition, and influenza. She cross-referenced the names of those in local... Lakel. <laughs> I'm reading too fast. Local graveyards and found only two of them had been buried in any of them. Two! Two! Out of 796! Jeez, oh, Pete's. Her research led to conclude that the only possible location of these bodies was the site where the skeletons were found in 1975. Maps showed that this was the site of the home's septic tank. That just, oh, just hits me in the worst way. Stop, Zoe. Um... My dogs are trying to fight underneath me, and now I'm just going to rub my Zoe's face. Corliss believe that some of the skeletons found are inside the septic tank. This common burial ground was unmarked and not registered with the authorities. No records were kept of any burial... Oh my god. Burial... I can't say burial. There. <laughs> International media outlets and other commentators decide, described it as a mass grave. Well, I mean, can you blame them? It's a lot of freaking... Tiny bodies in there. Ah! Corliss's conclusions were sorted by some were supported 
I'm a mess, by some local residents who recalled seeing nuns and workmen apparently burying remains there in the late evenings. Ugh. In 2010, the bodies of 222 infants from Bethany Home, another maternity home, were found in a mass unmarked grave in Dublin. Whoa. Okay. That's over. That is over a thousand babies. Same situation, different location. Holy shitballs. Okay, I'm fine. In April 2014, her research was publicized during the dedication of a memorial to the 222 dead children at the Bethany Home. Corliss is campaigning for a similar grave marker to be placed at the Twom site. Um, numerous news reports alleging the existence of a mass grave containing 800 babies in a subject based on her work were published, first by journalist Allison O'Reilly in the Irish Mail on Sunday and later by international media international media outlets in late May, early June of 2014. I lost my spot. The story sparked outrage in Ireland and internationality, internationally. Um, the Irish government came under pressure to launch an investigation. The government called the allegations deeply disturbing and ordered the police to begin a preliminary investigation with the aim of launching an inquiry. I don't know why that just happened, but I'm pushing buttons. Okay, I'm fine. I'll edit that out. But anyways, it was just a long pause. So, yeah, there was a lot of outrage. Um, oh, what's this? Professor Liam Delaney said the high child death rate at the home could, be, could not be explained by the higher overall child death rates at the time, nor by the higher death rate among illegitimate children. He added this points to something serious within these institutions. So there's um, there's a documentary in the Would You Believe series on the talk topic of the Twan babies. It was um, broadcast April 12, 2015. In October of 2017, the New York Times pu published an extended multimedia ar article, The Lost Children of Twan by Dan Barry and others covering the home, the children, and the burial site. Ooh, hoo-hoo! Um, uh, so on June 3rd, this is, this is getting deeper, especially because what's going on in the world right now. June 3rd, 2015, Irish Examiner published a special report which claimed that the health service executive had voiced concerns in 2012 that up to a 1,000 children may have been trafficked from the home and re recommending that then-health minister be informed so that a fully-fledged, fully-resourced forensic investigation and state inquiry could be launched. Some of these children... Okay, so you're thinking... 1925 to 1961. Like, I mean, some of them would be in their 80s or 90s, but some of them could be in their, like, 50s or 60s now. Some of them could be here in the United States. Like, they were they were shipped all over the world. Well, into the, um... Well, that was creepy. I don't like being in my house by myself now. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. <laughs> but, uh, that's just... Issue, whew, okay, I'm getting crazy. I think, think this is starting to get a little frazzled. The issue had arisen within the HSE, which is the health services executive, when a principal social worker responsible for adoption discovered a large archive of photographs, documentation, and correspondence relating to children sent for adoption to the USA. Which literally was just talking about documentation in relation to discharges and admissions to psychiatric institutions in the western area um 
Oh, and it, it was also noted that letters from the home to parents asked for money for the upkeep of their children that weren't even there. Let's put that out there. Mm -hmm. And that's that the duration of stay for children may have been prolonged by the order for financial reasons. It is also uncovered. It also uncovered letters to parents asking for money for the upkeep of some children that had already been discharged or had died. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were to live to see that this was all uncovered? To figure out that you were sending money somewhere for your child that you had to birth out of wedlock because the times were so different, you know, 50, 60 years ago, 70, 80, however long, almost 100 years ago. Um, whew, paying for a dead child and not even being told about it, just these people are fucking money hungry because they're disgusting. They compiled a list of names of up to a thousand names. Um, um, oh, a hundred, a thousand names, um, that were discharged and, or died that were paid for even after they were not there any longer. The reports mentioned the possibility that up to a thousand children had been trafficked for adoption. One of the reports mentioned that it was possible that death certificates were falsified so children could be brokered for adoption, which could prove to be a scandal that dwarfs other and more recent issues with the church and state. Bro. They said the Bon Secours sisters, I can't say anything right, in a statement said, as the commission of investigation has now been establishing, the sisters of Bon Secours do not believe it would be appropriate to comment or further, except to say that they will cooperate fully with that commission. Because you're guilty, that's why. Report states that if thousands of babies were illegally adopted into the United States without the willing consent of the birth mother, then the pra this practice was facilitated by doctors, social workers, religious orders, and many more people in positions of authority. Report states that it, there is a real danger that some people may still work within the system. Bruh. What? Whew. Okay. So, yeah, there's just a heavy, heavy um, investigation we're jumping now to March 3rd, 2017. The Mother and Baby Homes Commission of Investigation announced that the human remains had been found during a that human remains had been found during a test excavation carried out at the site between November 2016 and February 2017. A test conducted on some of the remains indicated that they had been aged between 35 fetal weeks and two to three years old. So 35 weeks, probably stillborns. Or, you know, some babies can be born at 35 weeks and be healthy. Um, the announcement confirmed that the deceased died during the period that the property was used by the mother and baby home. Not from an earlier period, as most of the bodies dated from the 1920s to the 50s. Remains were found in an underground structure divided into 20 chambers. While some speculated that this indicated children who died at the home were interred on the site in unmarked graves, a common practice such... At such Catholic-run facilities amid high child mortality rates in the early 20th century Ireland, the commission had said it had not yet determined what the purpose of the structure was, but it appeared to be a sewage tank. Ah, well, we talked about that earlier, the septic tank. The commission had also not yet determined if it was ever used for this purpose. Yeah, there was a lot of political reactions, like a lot of just people... Um, called to the state for apologies. Um, 
the Minister for Justice, Francis Fitzgerald, stated that the discovery is an infinitely sad reminder of an Ireland that was a very harsh, harsh place for women and their babies, and that it shows the tortured relationship the state and church had with pregnant women. It is a tragedy that we are now facing in its entirety. And, like, this is literally within the last three years. Like, this article goes more in depth about um, more of the legalities behind it, like, getting, like, I don't know what can be really done. Um, oh man, it says here that this Bon Sakaur sisters offered a 2.5 million euro, wait, was it euro? Yeah, a voluntary contribution towards the cost of excavation and forensic excavation, which are estimated between 6 and 13 million pounds. Zapone stated that this contribution was not a settlement or an indemnity. No, they're just trying to pay to cover up the bullshit. This is just bonkers bananas, you guys. Um, there's a book that was put out by Allison O'Reilly. It was called My Name is Bridget. It was pr- uh, published in April of 2018. The book covers the story of Bridget Dolan, whose two baby boys died while in the care of the Bonds to Cowers nuns. O'Reilly wrote the book after being approached by Anna Corrigan, Dolan's daughter, following her discovery that she had two brothers that she knew nothing about. Um, John Desmond Dolan was born a healthy baby to his mother, Bridget, on February 22nd, 1946, which was a Tuesday in the Tuam home. He died Wednesday, June 11, 1947. So he had just been over like a year old. He was described in April 1946. Hi, I'm trash. He was described in an April 1947 inspection report as a miserable, emaciated child with voracious appetite and no control over bodily functions, probably mentally defective. His death certificate two months later calls him a congenital idiot. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm overwhelmed and a little annoyed and just, uh, what? He was a perfectly healthy baby at birth, and then all of a sudden he's a congenital idiot. Ah! I don't like it! Oh, then she discovered... Okay, Corrigan, the daughter, discovered she had a second brother in the Tuan home, which was John's younger brother, William Joseph, who was born all healthy on Sundays, May 21st, 1950. That's the day before my birthday. Obviously not 1950, but... William is registered as having died in the Tuam home on Saturday, February 3rd, 1951, so he wasn't even a year old. But no cause of death was given. Fantastic. The record of William's date was altered to Saturday, April 20th, 1950, a common practice with babies trafficked abroad for adoption. Corrigan has reported her brother to the Carday as a missing person. So, (laughs) he could still be out there. The book contains additional previous unpublished material, including a chapter, snapshots of stolen lives of from, about survivors from others' homes who never gave told their stories before, and a report obtained a Freedom of Information request by state pathologist Professor Marie Cassidy, detailing her visit to the excavations then taking place, then taking place on the Tuam site on October fifth, two thousand sixteen. That's literally almost exactly four years ago. Because by the time this comes out, it'll be October 2nd. So that's crazy. The home septic tank, along with more recent 
brick built structure consisting of two chambers was discovered, Professor Cassidy wrote, I was informed that bones believed to be infant remains had been found out with the original subject tank during the excavation. She described that she could see when she looked into the small hole into the chambers. The remains did not appear to be have been carefully laid out and had been just deposited unceremoniously in the tank. Basically, what they're saying, they were just topped in there, just thrown in there like freaking garbage, not like they were a human being. So it's fine. I'm fine. There were debris. There was debris. Goodness gracious. Lining the floor of both chambers and recognizable infant bones scattered on top. She wrote the bones were in a haphazard arrangement, which no indication of having been uncoffined or laid out. They were identifiable. There were there were identifiable skulls and long bones. And then the info in the report obtained under the Free Information Act showed just how accurate the verbal accounts given by children from Tuam who had stumbled upon the mass grave in the 1970s had been. Whew. On October 30th, 2018, journalist and author Allison O'Reilly, who first broke the story of the Tuam babies in 2014, became the first Irish journalist to be awarded the Gold Medal of Honorary Patronage from Trinity Philosophical Society for her work, excuse me, in covering the story of the home, along with Anna Corrigan, who helped expose the story. Um, there was talk about the Pope going there to see Irish Council for Civil Liberties, Grove Hospital. There's just um, Galway County Council, Council has stipulated that an archaeologist must monitor excavation work on the site in order to preserve any remains which may be buried there. So there's just, that's a whole lot of crazy for what these little babies probably had to go through. A full embodied inquiry, and it's just described as sickening by Dr. Diarmude, Diarmude, Diarmude Martin. Yeah, and then it says the sisters were shocked and deeply sad and promising to cooperate with any investigation to establish the full truth of what happened. Oh, that you guys probably, who knows, hopefully, I, I don't even know how to say it. Hopefully these babies weren't murdered. I mean, granted, yeah, they were murdered. Why would I even say that? They were murdered. They were literally left in rooms just to be left by themselves just to die. That's bananas. Bah. Nah, nuts. So, ah, oh, so this is just a little bitty one. It's a little bitty episode that I wanted to just do something to clear my head with all the craziness that's been going on inside of my mind. But um, now all I'm thinking about is a mass grave with tiny little baby bones in it. So that's probably not good. <laughs> I hope you guys, <coughs> oh goodness, hope you guys enjoyed. I don't want to say enjoy it. I hope you guys found this episode to be interesting, informative. Um, if you guys have ever heard anything, especially, I know we've got a, I don't know how many listeners we have in Ireland. I just know there's some or one. Hey there. <laughs> Please write in. Um, find it. You can email us at bloodypebblespodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at bloodybabbles. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are both bloodybabblespodcast. Um, I have a whole bunch of amazing, wonderful uh, friends on Twitter, a whole bunch of different podcasts. I started listening to today, to today, the weekly variety. And oh my God, those gals, whoo, 
They're freaking hilarious. They're so fun. And I adore them. So go check them out. They've only got 11 episodes out. So yeah, I'm just, I'm fine. And so yeah, go check out the weekly variety, um, live with big bruh. He's, uh, we've thrown his promo in infinite banter. Have you seen it? That's kind of, I like, that's freaking cool. And I love, um, her voice, uh, Maggie's voice on, um, have you seen it? She talks about different shows in different countries all over the world and describes like, kind of like their plots and her, I, I really love her voice. I think it's fantastic. So go check them out. Um, our, as always, our intro music is Fantasy and World Music by the Fichters. They have so many different, they're like tons of videos. Like the one we use for these bonus episodes is the creepy doll music, which suits my soul. I'm sure there's, I may change up our intro song at some point, just, but I'm always going to use those guys because all their music is fantastic. So make sure you go show them some love on YouTube. Um, if you're feeling, you know, so inclined, uh, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloody Bibles podcast. You can also donate through anchor as little as 99 cents a month, up to 10 bucks a month, whatever, whatever you feel like this. We just, we've got a lot planned for you. And I mean, we're 20 episodes in now, so this is pretty exciting. I'm pumped. I love it. It's, it's been an adventure. It's not something I would have ever put myself doing at 27 years old, but you know, so until next time, my little Babylonians, babble on. Bye.